The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, return all liquids to their upright and locked position and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 189 with guest Ted Patterson, recorded live Thursday, August 3rd, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's got a tube of Preparation H, and he's not afraid to use it, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks. On the air since 2002, before podcasting was a word. Isn't that right, Richard Campbell, my co-host in Vancouver, British Columbia? And absolutely true. And notice the latest studies showing that podcasting spreading to the mainstream it's not just for geeks anymore. I've been following this closely, obviously, because I'm in the business of producing podcasts, and I've gotten an extreme amount of interest lately, and it's because there's a lot of press from pundits saying, if you don't have a podcast, people will think you're behind the times. Yeah, just like when you didn't have a website. Exactly. So it's uh, real, people are really interested in putting podcasts together, and it turns out that the way we did .NET Rocks is the best way to do a podcast, which is to give away content and create a community, and that's it. And don't worry about sales. That'll happen, right? Yeah, that naturally comes about. Well, and you basically did the first 50 shows long before my time. Yeah. Uh, all on your own. Well, you and Mark. Yeah. But uh, no right. uh, no money there. It's when you have a good idea. It's a good idea, no matter what, I guess. Absolutely. Hey, I got a piece of email for you. Cool. Let's hear it. Uh, Carl and Richard, I just want to say I've been an avid listener since show 100. <laughs> I remember show 100 where Jeff says, DNR is stupid and so are you for listening. <laughs> and I've been hooked. I also listen to Mondays, Hansel Minutes, and DNR TV. Well, watch, which is great. That's the repertoire, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Since I'm a BizTalk guy, been working on it since 2000, I rarely get to develop web and WinForm applications. Well, never. I'm usually up to my neck in soap and backend plumbing, which is kind of a weird picture. Right. Well, my point is that I was looking for a way to download all the POP shows, both past and present, with one easy click. So I fired up Visual Studio 2005, and sorry, I'm a C-sharp guy, and within 10 minutes using Code Rush, I had an application that crawled your various POP shows for torrent files and downloaded them all asynchronously using handy-dandy background worker class. Isn't that awesome? And no, I don't work for Stephen Forte. <laughs> what other language slash framework can you do that in? Easily Nuff said. Also, letting you know that you're pretty popular in the Avenade world. So keep it up, man. We love you. Awesome. Well, we love you too, Avenade, and everyone else out there. And to show that, we went back to Brian and we asked him if he would like to share his bits with the world. And he said, "Of course." So uh, there's a link on our website to the bits to download all the torrents for Pop shows. And uh, you know, eventually, maybe we'll get around to putting a, a link ourselves for that on every. Uh, page, but until then, you can use this great code. Thanks, Brian. Cool. And before we introduce Ted, um, I want to talk briefly with Greg Brill from Infusion in New York City about uh, a very interesting program that's going on down there. Hi, Greg. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. Um, real, real briefly, we talked on the phone about uh, this that the fact that you need .NET developers in your company is going gaga. Uh, if that's the right word, gaga. You're doing something a little nutty. Well, I, I, I certainly we, we've got the need. New York City, we have a lot of investment banks as clients. Right. And um, in, in New York City, it's like uh, it has a lot of capacitance. It's been charged up on the Java thing for a number of years. Now it's all turning to .NET. And that's opening a lot of .NET architecture and um, you know .NET development positions at the investment banks that are our clients. These are really big banks, and the right. work is really great stuff. And um, this has sort of happened uh, gradually and then all of a sudden. And now at a lot of our clients, we have a lot of open positions uh, for, you know, .NET development. And believe it or not, you, you'll be surprised, but you cannot get good .NET development easily in New York City. And why is that? I, you know, I think a lot of it is it's, it's, uh, it's traditionally been a Java town. You know, because that was uh, that was the first thing that the banks all adopted. You know, there's a lot. There traditionally been a lot of Linux and Unix, um, but you know now it's catching on, and there's a few guys in the city, you know, like us that have been doing .NET trading systems since .NET came out, and it's just really catching on. So it's just there's just not the the skill set here that you would hope, and um, the folks that are here tend to be more of like a mercenary culture. New York doesn't exactly breed uh, the nicest developers in all cases, so we're really looking for you know, for .NET folks, and we've got a really special program that we think will um, entice people to uh, take some time out and come to the big city. Right. Now, we've talked to you before. Um, Nick Landry works with you in yep. Fusion. He's a good friend of the show. And uh, you've talked about um, recruiting developers before on the show, but uh, I guess, you know, travel and expensive apartments and all that kind of stuff is is a big barrier, Apparently, right? It is. I mean, you know, if you're going to come to New York City, uh, you know, it's, it's a very daunting place to do. But I think there's a lot of folks out there. You know, you might be a little early in your career, or maybe you're a little more advanced in your career. You're doing .NET development wherever geographically you happen to be. And you're like, you know, it would be really cool. I'd like to, like, just 
go to New York for a year, you know, do some really intense .NET development for a major investment bank, you know, get my resume in, you know, some amazing shape because of the experience I'd gain working on trading systems. Um, I'd love to do it, but it just seems like there's no easy, it takes a lot of planning to do a move like that. And so what we have envisioned is something called, are you ready, Carl? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. The New York City one-year tour. This is um, really silly. I mean, I've never heard anybody doing this. This is great. Yeah, well, what we're what we're going to do is, um, I say to you, you know, junior .NET developers, senior .NET developers, .NET developers of all stripes, if you've got good communication because you need it working at a major investment bank, and, you know, you've got a real passion for .NET, and you've got some demonstrated ability, and, I, and that demonstrated ability could be at many levels. You don't have to have worked at an investment bank before. We have the credibility with the banks to, to get our folks in. Um, I offer you this, okay? Um, come work with Infusion Development for a year in New York City. I will take care of your apartment. Take care of your apartment? Yes, I will. <laughs> I will take care of your apartment. I will take care of your utilities. I will take care of, you know, you know, all basic expenses. I'll even give you, it's like a game show, wait, there's more, Carl. <laughs> um, we'll give you um, a flight pass so that you can take some trips back to wherever you're from. Wow. And we'll put you at a major investment bank, you know, someone you'll definitely know doing really interesting .NET work. And you do that with us for a year. And it's kind of a no-risk way of just sort of, you know, taking that one-year initiative, coming to the big city, living it. I mean, socially, this is the best place you can go. Now, the um, question is, is this on top of the salary? Yep, it's on top of the salary. And the salary's got to be pretty good for, for New York City. Yeah, salary's market rate. Um, where, you know, we take into account, obviously, your experience and, uh, and things of that nature. But, you know, you will need uh, a decent salary to have a comfortable standard of living here in, uh, in New York. We certainly provide that. Um, you'll live very well. It's, it's a great thing to do for a year. You'll, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Wow. I, I've never th – this is crazy. Are, have you ever seen any other companies offer this kind of, like, no rent living in New York City before? Um, no, I, I never have. Um, but I don't think most companies really could. You know, we're kind of a, a big, small company, right? You know, we're 100 people, but we're, we're pretty close. And, uh, you know, we know everybody, work with everybody. We can do this kind of, of thing. I mean, I'm looking for a special kind of person. Yes. And for a special kind of person, you know, this is an investment that we'd make. But I just know. I know it's a big jump. You might be working in the Midwest. You might be working in Canada. You might be in Montreal. You might be in California. You might be anywhere. And you're thinking, you know, I'm getting good .NET experience here, you know, but I really want to take a shot at the big times. I really want to get on my resume. You know, I've worked for a major investment bank. I've done equities trading systems or fixed income. My .NET is the code which has processed, you know, a trillion dollars worth of trades last year. You know, I want to look in the Wall Street Journal and look at some price and go, hey, that's my code that actually arrived at that. Um, and, you know, I know it's a big barrier. So I hope that by removing all of that and, you know, by getting folks to come here, um, you know, they'll have a hell of a year. We get what we need, which is to provide our banking clients with just really high-end, motivated people. They get a year of just fantastic, you know, resume building, working mm. for Infusion and working for the banks. And then at the end of the year, they can remain with Infusion, and I'll give them a choice of different options in different locales. Mm -hmm. You know, we have offices in Toronto and Boston, New York City. You know, or hey, you know, thanks if you know you've done a great job. Now take your advanced resume and these new skill sets and go yonder and conquer. You know, go find the job that you're now qualified for that maybe would have taken you five or six years um, mm. to get the right experience, but now you know here you are after one year. Now, now, Greg, this we haven't talked about this, so I really don't know the answer. What about moving expenses? Yep, we'll help you with moving expenses too. 
Wow. Uh, it, it depends on, we'll certainly fly you out here, get your stuff out here. So basically, it's like a no-brainer. If you like New York, you want to be in New York for a year, you want to get your experience uh, with a with a great company. Um, and work with Nick Landry, don't forget that. Yeah, and work with Nick Landry. <laughs> How can you say no? All right, so where do we sign up? Who do we contact? Well, where you go is, um, go to our website, that's uh, www.infusiondev.com, that's okay. Infusion Dog Edward Victor fusiondevelopment.com, fusiondev.com. There's a career section. You go to that career section, and uh, there will be a little uh, little area there for the New York City tour. You can submit your data. But you know what? Honestly, if you want, you can just email me directly, too, as another option. Okay. You know, um, I'm gbrill, G-B-R-I-L-L, at infusiondev.com. And you just email me directly and say, hey, Greg, you know, I heard you on the show, and you know, I just got to tell you, this is really, uh, really interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, those are the two ways. I certainly hope, you know, for the right people, man, there's no shortage of what I'll, what I'll do to, to get an opportunity to work with them here in the big city. That's awesome, Greg. And, and for those listeners who have been listening for a long time, Greg is one of us. He's, he's a musician. He's a creative guy. Uh, he built his business from scratch. Uh, he, he's been a .NET um, author and all of that in the very early days of .NET. You uh, beat the streets in New York when nobody else was singing the .NET song, weren't you? That's absolutely true. Yeah, still, still do. You know, the fight, <laughs> the fight's not over. You know, yeah. um, what's really interesting now is uh, you know branching into the back end and, and things like that. It's a really, really good time actually for .NET. It's got the maturity now that the perception wasn't there before, and you know we're taking advantage of that. All right. Well, good luck, and good luck to any of the listeners who uh, attempt to. Uh, go forward with this. Uh, let us know how it works out. Gbrill at infusiondev.com, right? Yep. Right, Greg? And, yep. And the uh, www.infusiondev.com uh, website. And, uh, you know, hey, it's worth a conversation even if you're just thinking about it. Awesome. All right, Greg, we'll see you later. Thanks, Carl. Wow. This is going to be a great show, huh? Uh, I'm so excited. It's ridiculous. I got my. I got my comm book sitting here. <laughs> I don't think you'll need that. I went down to the library, dug it out. It's been a while. It's 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 got a bunch of sticky notes in it, and the pages are all blackened on the edge. It's yeah. got a lot of miles on it. <laughs> well, Ted Patterson is our guest, and I can't believe he hasn't been on this show before. Isn't that ridiculous? This is crazy. Well, he actually has. We interviewed him um, at a dinner in in Seattle one year, but it was not, uh, or maybe it was San Diego, but anyway, it wasn't an official Ted Patterson show like this one. Ted Patterson is an author, trainer, and Microsoft MVP who specializes in SharePoint products and technologies. In the fall of 2005, Ted was hired by the Microsoft Developer Platform Evangelism Group, say that five times fast, to author <laughs> the Ascend developer training curriculum for Windows SharePoint Services 3.0 and Microsoft Office SharePoint Server 2007. Ted is currently researching and writing a book for Microsoft Press titled Inside Windows SharePoint Services 3.0 that focuses on how to use SharePoint as a development platform for building business solutions. Ted offers SharePoint training to professional developers through his company, Gorilla, G-O-R-I-L-L-A, as in the ape, GorillaTraining.com. Ted, welcome to .NET Rocks. Well, that sounded kind of short and concise when I wrote it, but now as you say it, it sounds a little bit long-winded. <laughs> well, and if we actually dragged out your whole bio, it would be much, much longer than that. I was just going to say, you're being very modest because we could talk, we could probably read a bio for you that would go on for 15 minutes. <laughs> You guys are too kind. Well, I'm very excited about being on the .NET Rock Show because I've been a fan over the years. I think we uh, 
you know me, I had that past life as a VB guy. Right. Uh, all those years at VBits, uh, all that calm is love stuff. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, that was like my past life. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had this religious reborn again experience as a SharePoint guy who was language agnostic and can't we all just get along in Visual Studio, but, you know, let's push beyond ASP.NET into SharePoint. And that's, yeah. uh, that's been my life for the last three years. And and VB guy you have been. I mean, you've been a, a VB programmer's VB programmer. You you pushed uh, the envelope with your articles and books and speaking and doing things in VB that mere mortals don't attempt to do. And also, I really enjoyed your book on Windows components, Windows forms and components. Uh, it was really low, a perfect balance of low level and common sense and and funny. You're a funny guy, Tad Patterson. Well, you know, looks aren't everything, so I can't. Got to compensate somehow. Well, I just found your writing style so approachable that, uh, you know, even though we were tackling really tough topics about distributed applications and things, it just never felt intimidating. You had a good time building great code, and it was a lot of fun, a fun read. One of the few books I really did sit down and read cover to cover. And if you ever spent any time with Ted, you'll know that... uh, you know, he, he if he's not having a good time, you know, he's not going to be there. So he always has a good time. Well, I always had uh, stuff where I, I am very good friends with Don Box, and I've worked with him for a while. But he always gives me a hard time of, you're basically writing books that just copying my stuff. And I'm saying, no, I'm translating it so humans can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. And you guys have traded some barbs in the past, you know, in jest about, you know, VB guy. He's not, he's nowhere near a VB guy. And, you know, the C++ angle bracket world and all of that stuff. Especially in song, you've written a lot of funny songs. Uh, some people have heard and some they may not have heard, but you're a great, uh, great uh, comedy songwriter as well. So let's get to SharePoint, shall we? That's yeah. what we're here to talk about. How did we end up with an acronym like MOSS? MOSS is one of those things where they just had to come up with something. <laughs> I think they, you know, so, uh, you know, for a guy outside looking in, you know, I don't have, you know, my life is at Microsoft Marketing. So, you know, I really thought that there's this part that's part of the platform which we call WSS, or Windows SharePoint Services. And there's the part that lives on top of the platform, which is the product that you pay, you know, a per-server licensing fee, and you pay client access licenses. And that used to be called SharePoint Portal Server, and now we have an evolved version. And I was really hoping that they wouldn't put SharePoint into the name of both the free thing and the thing on top of it that wasn't free. Uh, But marketing pressures being what they are and name recognition. And the guys, you know, inside of the, the group you know, worry about the Kleenex problem. You know, the Kleenex people really didn't think about branding, and then all of a sudden everything was Kleenex, and they they lost out. So you know, they really had, the had to lay their claim that they're both SharePoint. Yeah. So given the fact that the stuff underneath is SharePoint services and the thing overneath, on top is SharePoint server, you know, I kind of, after I've been training this stuff for a while, I figured out the decoder ring. When you look <laughs> at all the SharePoint technologies, Anything that ends in server, you pay for. Anything right. that ends in services is a free part of something else that you paid for. Like Windows. Uh, yeah, like Windows SharePoint services. It's free. You get it when you buy the operating system. Yeah. SharePoint server, you got to pay for it. 
Excel services, it's free when you buy SharePoint Server. I get it. Free, relatively speaking, of course. Sure. This uh, new version of Windows SharePoint Services 3.0, when did this... Uh when when how long has this been around and and what's the state is it beta is it is it out what's the state of it? Well, we're in beta two. We hit beta two and um, you know got to a pretty neat stability point in May. Uh, I've been you know I was lucky enough to have some friends inside of Microsoft like Mike Fitzmorris and a lot of guys on the product team, you know, who were bringing people pretty early into the TAP program and wanted a, a couple of educators in there early. So I started playing with the stuff like last May. And, yeah. you know, so the, the builds there are not beta one, beta two, but they're dog food three, dog food four. Uh, and so you know what you're getting into. And so, you know, I've had my time dealing with the product in those stages. And I thought beta one was pretty stable because hmm. it only crash once an hour. Uh, <laughs> and then we hit beta two. And so beta two is when they kind of opened the door to the public and said, anyone in the world who wants to download the stuff and start playing around with it, have at it. And that yeah. happened in May. So right now we're looking for a um, a beta two refresh. You know, probably uh, within a few weeks of of when this show gets. It. And then we're also looking towards RTM. You know, by the end of uh, the 2006 calendar year. Yeah. Okay. What makes it better than uh, the previous version? What's What's new and good about 3.0? Well. You know, I jumped into this whole SharePoint thing with the last version, with Windows SharePoint Services 2.0. And it had some neat things over ASP.NET, but it was still this weird, undocumented layer that, as an ASP guy coming in there, a lot of times you would do something that would work. A lot of times you would do something like a regular old ASP.NET technique, and it just won't work. Yeah. So they really rethought the architecture and made it a much better experience for someone who knows ASP.NET. And my presumption is that these are just a set of services that work with ASP.NET, but there's more to it than that. Well, it's, you know, it's a value-added layer on top of ASP.NET. So you know, what SharePoint is, at its core, is a site provisioning engine. So your company has this problem. You don't just have one website like we did 10 years ago. You don't just have a website that we bring up you know, once a month. We have a marketing department, and they want a new website for every marketing campaign. And so right. we're talking mm. about creating a couple websites every week and then having to manage the websites and having mm. to uh, you know, delete the websites when they haven't been touched in six months. And we need just to make it work inside of a web farm. And right. so SharePoint gives you this core provisioning that ASP doesn't get into at all. And then as we start provisioning sites, well, once we create a site, what do we want inside there? You know, so we want to have some basis for creating site templates. And when we create a site template, we want provisioning inside the site for a list. And you look at what is a list? A list is a you know, backing store. It's got a set of columns and we need to store data. And then we also need pages to, to be able to view the items in that list. We need to be able to edit, delete. And so SharePoint just allows people to provision lists and to add columns, remove columns, and it deals with the storage in SQL Server behind the scenes. Hmm. You know, so just from that standpoint, allowing users just to quickly create sites that store content, it just gives you so much value over ASP.NET. And then add in the user management, add in the automatic authentication, uh, add in a management infrastructure. You can just see, you know, out of the box, they just give you tons of 
you know, uh, of features above and beyond what ASP.NET does. And that's just for non-developers. But now add to that that a developer can start creating web parts. Anytime that someone uploads a document or anytime someone deletes or edits something in a list, I can have an event handler that will fire, that will basically put some behaviors to do validation, send an email. And now SharePoint, this new version, has really embraced the new Windows um, Windows Workflow Foundation. Yeah. You know, more than any other piece of software that Microsoft writes by far, this version of SharePoint has bet the farm that Windows Workflow Foundation is a reliable thing to build workflow software on top of. So they also give you, you know, a tremendous amount of potential to create workflows just in the Visual Studio environment and just to start attaching them to your lists and document libraries within SharePoint. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Ted, you mentioned web parts. Now, web parts is a sort of ambiguous name. You have the web parts in ASP.NET 2.0, and then you have SharePoint web parts. Are they what's the difference? Well, the difference <laughs> is that SharePoint came first. Back in SharePoint v2, they introduced this notion of a web part, and it's really an ASP.NET server control. But its value is that it's got a personalization customization engine behind it, where all you have to do is add a property, add an attribute, and SharePoint deals with persisting those values to their content database, pulling them back in, and even without you exerting any effort, building a user interface where users can customize and personalize. Yeah, and I think the the ability to link them, to link data between them very easily is another high-level service that you get. Right, these you web can connect parts. two different web parts. So if you have the customer and invoices web part, you can connect them together. And so I pick a customer, and the other web part shows me the invoices for that customer. Right. Now back you know, to the question, the SharePoint team creates this web part framework. Everybody goes, look at SharePoint. So cool. It's got these web parts. The ASP.NET team starts thinking, and you know, strategically in Microsoft, they're thinking, if SharePoint has X developers as its audience, ASP has 20x developers as its audience. So why not take this cool thing, move it down one level, and basically put it lower in the platform to reach a wider audience? Right. So it's the same idea, same interfaces. It's just that now you don't require SharePoint. Same idea. Kind of like .NET and Java. You let one team come (laughs) out with it first, and then you take all their great ideas, learn from their mistakes, and create something better. Yeah. Uh, So what happened is the ASP team comes out. They introduce their own web parts framework. Obviously, they, they don't want any dependencies on SharePoint. And so they created a similar yet very distinct. You know, so everything about ASP is in the uh, system.web.ui.webcontrols.webparts namespace, where everything in SharePoint v2 web parts are inside of Microsoft.SharePoint. Now, the, the SharePoint v3 problem is, which one do we support? Right. And the answer is, you have to support both, or you're going to tick off people. Sure. So the the idea of 
web part support in this new version of SharePoint is to do everything on top of ASP2 so that it's strategic. That's the direction. And right. then, you know, the decision is we're still going to support V2 web parts because a lot of people made big investments in this. But ultimately, it's in Microsoft's best interest and in our best interest to have one library. That's correct. You know, so the writing is on the wall. If you're creating web parts today, use ASP.NET, even if you're targeting SharePoint 3. Right. But if you've spent the last two years writing an extensive web part library for SharePoint V2, mm. they're going to run without even recompiling it in V3. Nice. And then if you move it over, they've done this trick where last time around in SharePoint V2, their web part class inherits from the ASP control class. And then what they did, as they versioned Microsoft.SharePoint DLL from the last version to this version, basically version 11 to version 12, is they took their web part base class and they changed its base class from control over to the ASP web part base class. So they did this little trick where they rebase and then they redirect. Any web part DLL that's expecting version 11 automatically gets version 12. And right. all of a sudden, the ASP web part base class is in the inheritance hierarchy. So it just works out of the box. That's now, great. if you want to take your V2 web parts and move them over, one idea is that you just you know, start from scratch and then copy and paste your code. But the other thing is, if you move your web part projects from Visual Studio 2003 over to Visual Studio 2005, the reference gets upgraded, and all of a sudden, where you know last week, control was your base class, now the ASP web part base class is your base class, and you have a whole new set of properties. So we can start taking advantage of the fact that the ASP web part base class is now the SharePoint web part base class. So if you could summarize all that nuttiness down to one sentence of, you should do this, what would it be? I would say that if you have a big investment in, in V2, you don't have to do anything. Uh, or you can start doing what's called uh, creating hybrid web parts, which is continuing to you know use the same techniques we did in V2, but acknowledging the fact that the ASP web part base class is now in the inherent hierarchy. Uh, okay. I would say it's going to be far more strategic for you, though, over time to switch everything over to the ASP.NET format for, for writing web parts. Okay. And if you are migrating existing controls, you're going to find some stuff you like in the ASP.NET 2.0 libraries. That, yeah. Well, they have some things there. You know, so some of the things that you'll see is that they have, uh, back in SharePoint v2, they have their own framework for doing asynchronous uh, calls out to other machines. Uh, and ASP.NET has a different technique. You know, so people might be thinking that they need to stay because there's that, there's client-side scripting. But I think, you know, all the things that are strategic that Microsoft wants to move forward, you know, are going to be available in ASP.NET. And right, if, sure. So I would say my advice is to move away from the V2-style web parts as soon as possible over to the ASP.NET and just seek out similar functionality in .NET and ASP.NET. And they've certainly done their best to facilitate that migration. Your existing code base works. You can use both together in a hybrid, but ultimately it's the ASP.NET 2.0 stuff that's going to win. That's exactly right. So, Ted, uh, back in V2, web parts was pretty much the, the core technology, the, the only thing that you had. What, uh, what now do we get besides web parts in well, version 3? You know, web parts are still exciting, but 
now all of a sudden web parts are only a, you know, is a much smaller percentage of the landscape for a developer. So back in V2, you could work at a lower level and work with something called a site definition, which is working with a lot of undocumented XML files and page templates, and not a lot of developers got very much traction there because there was no documentation on it. Hmm. So now, probably the biggest developer innovation with this new version of SharePoint is this thing called a feature, which is working at the same lower level as a site definition, except in much more bite-sized modular chunks. So I can create a feature with an XML file, and the only thing my feature does is it adds a menu item, or it adds a list type, or it adds a list type in an instance of that list, or it adds a list type in an instance of that list, some default data, and an event handler, and a workflow. So features are great. And another huge thing about features that is going to be very attractive to developers is that you can activate them on existing sites. So back in V2, working with site definitions was only good for sites you would create in the future. So there was no way to work at that level yet to create some functionality and bootstrap it into an existing site. It was a really ugly problem. But features now give you this ability just to have a developer do something, move it through dev, staging, production, and just to activate it into sites and add new core functionality. This sounds like a very XAML-like uh, declarative programming model. It is exactly you know, a declarative programming model. And yeah. Well, and you said XML along the way, but it's this idea of not having to redeploy the app, the app being the whole website, because you've added a feature, but rather be able to just sort of slip a patch in that it takes advantage of. But it's not XAML. It's collaborative sure. application markup language that's been around since SharePoint v1. So it's not XAML, it's camel. Ah. It. Midnight at the Oasis, put your camel to bed. <laughs> you know, I'd like to just take a step back. We pretty much started this show on the predication that we're working in SharePoint, what's new, what's cool, and so forth. But maybe we need to bring some people back to why would I want to use WSS at all? What is it giving me? Good question. Well, you're creating... I mean, there's lots of different sites that you can create. You know, so smaller departmental sites, collaboration. We need to, you know, just have a customer list and sales leads. And we want to trap that. So being able to, you know, mock up a prototype so fast and not have to worry about where the data is being stored or create backup routines. I mean, SharePoint just gives you all that you know, out of the box. So all of those little niggling shared things that people need internally for their intranets, although potentially accessed externally as well, this is a set of libraries and a set of templates to do those things. So That's you know, correct. the thing that comes to mind is Exchange for the Web. Is that an accurate assessment? Exchange for the Web, no, I would say that's not an accurate assessment. So the reason I came to that is because Exchange is sort of like a, a back office way to collaborate and to, to share calendars and and folders and things like that. What's uh, I mean, this is sort of playing in that space. It is, but Exchange is about messaging where, you know, this is really about a uh, an endpoint where all our data is or, you know, not just data, but applications, you know, live here inside something that we can access via a browser. We can access via uh, office client applications. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think of ASP, generally someone's going to come up and say, hey, can you create a website from scratch with ASP? Right. Someone might come up to you and say, 
can you create a SharePoint site from scratch? But I really think the opportunities for developers are people going to say, hey, we're already using SharePoint. We need some custom development. You know, so they've already bought in. So they're going to have to, you know, know the, you know, the environment of going into SharePoint and knowing what developer opportunities to add things in there. Sure. You know, whether it's cascading style sheets and master pages, whether it's web parts, whether it's workflows. You know, so I think that because to me, there's a lot of traction here. There's just going to be a lot of development opportunities, and more and more developers will just know SharePoint as another skill and how to build software on top of it. Well, and workflow definitely takes us up an up a level. The idea that yep. an action I take on a web page stimulates another series of actions that I can make some requirements and I can move things along, and and that might stimulate some messaging that might just change some data. But there's a set of rules that you can set up independent of a given page. You don't have to code all that stuff yourself. That's exactly right. Mm. Okay, so getting back to uh, Moss, Microsoft Office uh, SharePoint server, what is this? Uh, what's so cool about this, and and why would I go an extra step and get a server when when I have SharePoint services? Well, let me. You took a step back. Let me take another step back. Okay. Last version of SharePoint, we had Windows SharePoint services, the free thing in the operating system, and then we had SharePoint portal server, the thing that sat on top of it, created by the Office team that you paid for. So that thing gave us, you know, like an aggregation, an aggregator where people go to a portal, and there was a, you know, a very you know, minor uh, publishing scheme, uh, but they had enterprise level search, they had ways to link out, you know. So SharePoint portal server was a place to go find everything around your network. And so one thing we're seeing with Microsoft Office SharePoint Server is, you know, all the features people are used to in SharePoint Portal Server are being migrated into Office SharePoint Server. But this other problem that we used to have is that we had SharePoint Portal Server, which was great at aggregation and search. We had a different product, Content Management Server, that was really good at web publishing. But Microsoft didn't let you make one site that made the best, you know, made out with the best of both uh, feature sets. I see. They have a little adapter named Spark, which some people use. But with this new version of Office SharePoint Server, you know, the idea is you've got to take these two different products and mix their feature sets together into one. Hmm. So Office SharePoint Server, you know, basically is the next version of Content Management Server. But with all the goodness of SharePoint from the last version mixed in, so you can create one site, that allows me to have you know, a very professional publishing scheme where we have content authors that are writing articles, publishing them you know, through Word or through a browser-based interface. And then just out of the box, you have a approval scheme where a manager has to approve it before the thing goes live. And when the manager approves it, he or she can say it goes live right now, or it goes live at midnight, mm. or these 20 articles go live, uh, you know, next Sunday at midnight. So, you know, all that is just built into the product, along with all the things we think about with, with the portal. Another neat feature that gets added in there is this connectivity mechanism, which is called the business data catalog, which was intended to, basically, the design was to get us to back-end systems, you know, thinking SAP. PeopleSoft, Siebel. The last version of SharePoint Portal Server, you know, advertised itself as the connector to back-end devices. You know, but when you read the fine print, 
you really had to write custom code in web parts that did all that work yourself. And then there really wasn't that much difference between ASP.NET and SPS when it got to back-end connectivity. Huh. So they really wanted to give you something for no-code solutions. So the business data catalog is driven by metadata. So let's say we have a PeopleSoft system. We have an SAP system, and then we have a DB2 database. You know, so the idea is, let's create a standard method execution engine that always passes me back the data in a standard format. And then if we can describe metadata to say, well, here's the PeopleSoft system. We're going to access that with web services. Here's the operations. Same for the SAP system. For the DB2 database, we're going to access that through ADO.net. So with the VDC, you author these metadata files, which define applications in terms of entities, like a customer, and methods, which for a web-based thing would have web method operations for a database would have SQL statements or stored procedures. And then once they get this in place, they have a whole bunch of out-of-the-box web parts uh, that just work with the business data catalog, data when it comes back. Uh, it's automatically integrated with search, with user profiles. You can write custom code in a web part or a workflow that queries the back-end data. You know, so what people are going to see is, you know, once your SAP system is, you know, integrated with, with SharePoint server, your user is going to be able to go up to a portal, type in a customer name, and be able to bring up the customer profile and invoices for that customer from your back-end system, you know, and see them right inside the portal, click on it, and all of a sudden you're pulling back information right from the back-end. Nice. So I think that's going to be another neat advancement. As I go through the list, you know, you know, Right. How much would you pay for this product now? But right, wait, yeah. there's more. It, it goes on and on. <laughs> it keeps going Obviously, on. integration so, with Office is, is part of the deal too, isn't it? That's Well, there's great integration with, with Office Desktop, but I think probably more of that lies in the SharePoint services layer. I see. Um, and it, it, you know, the, so the SharePoint server layer, you know, inherits the goodness from what's underneath as far as you know, being able to have clients open up a document in a document library and automatically kick off a workflow sure. or to be able to, um, you know, create a workspace on the fly. But the other parts of Moss that I think are, you know, important for people to be aware of is there's a lot of CI, you know, so business intelligence. They took Excel and because they got so much feedback from customers saying, look, Microsoft, we've got spreadsheets. We've been using spreadsheets for the last 10 years. And... All your development environments and all your advances have forgotten about me, .NET and assemblies and store procedures, this and that, but my business logic lives in a spreadsheet, and I can't find any you know, way other than hackery to get the data out and give it to the users. So what they did is they created this thing called Excel Services, which is basically a Excel spreadsheet calculation engine an HTML rendering engine that's just built from the ground up on top of WSS 3.0. Yeah. So no more running this clunky thing on the on the server that you know gets plagued by its Windows message pump logic. Uh, but all of a sudden, you can you know have your Excel guys go through the the new Excel 2007, go through a publishing procedure to publish spreadsheets inside of a SharePoint library, and then we can automatically you know have them rendered through the browser to nice. users. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, there's also Report Center, which is something that, you know, Microsoft's real big on key performance indicators, KPIs. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot of 
you know, easy to use. You know, you don't even have to be a developer. But, you know, I think analysts are going to be able to work with this stuff and start building KPIs that look at, you know, Excel spreadsheets, SharePoint lists. You know, there's even integration with uh, SQL analysis services and SQL reporting services from SQL 2005. And then the last thing I think the real kicker is that InfoPath 2003 was something that experienced really good adoption for companies that already had rolled out Office 2003. Hmm. But for companies that hadn't rolled out Office 2003, we saw that InfoPath wasn't really a reason for them to go ahead and roll that out. So customers were saying, I love this InfoPath technology. My designers are building forms, you know, lickety-split. They're doing in two weeks what it took the ASP guys six months to do. Right. But your requirement of me putting Office 2003 on every desktop, I just can't do that. Yep. So their idea was, why don't we create a server-side rendering engine? So if you have InfoPath 2007, there is now a forms services. It's free. It comes with Moss, uh, which will basically allow you to publish or upload InfoPath forms um, back to the server. And then users are going to be able to, you know, basically deal with those InfoPath forms just through a browser. That's good. It's an InfoPath to ASP.NET converter. This portion of .NET Rocks brought to you by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications online at www.telerik.com. That makes a lot of sense, Ted. Um, Microsoft gets hit a lot for bundling every little feature in the world on the client side to Office, you know. And I, I'm I'm really glad to see that separation. Yeah, and just I think they just had to figure out how they'd make money by pushing HTML back for you. And right. obviously, they have smart people who work through the licensing details to figure that out. Uh, but you know, as they are doing their testing now, it's not just an IE thing. You know, so they're testing with Safari, right. uh, they're testing with Firefox, they're testing with some common handheld browsers, and they know exactly who the competitors are in that market. You know, I think that they're making some really good grounds to you know, have a very competitive offering out there. I mean, I don't like that when other vendors do that, you know, let alone Microsoft. I mean, you know... Uh, when other vendors are picking on that poor little Microsoft? No, know? no, other vendors that bundle, you know, make requirements. Like in, like Apple QuickTime is the worst one. In order to have iTunes, you must install QuickTime, and it must be associated with MP3 files on the web in your browser, which you can't remove that association, apparently. I don't, unless somebody knows something I don't, I can't f- figure out for the life of me how to remove that association. Right. You know, I don't want QuickTime. I want iTunes. You know what I mean? So I, I, you know, de- making these dependencies on on products that don't have anything to do with each other, I think, is a bad idea. Well, and you know, and you know, they're false dependencies. They are totally false. They're just revenue based. And then the very last thing that I have to basically put out there on the table, and it's really not a Moss thing; it's more of a WSS thing that applies to Moss. Mm-hmm. The last version of SharePoint, because of the way they did authentication, they were tightly coupled to. Windows security tokens, and therefore to Windows accounts. So what right. that meant is in any mid to large size uh, deployment, you had a dependency on Active Directory. And for intranets, 
where we already got 2,000 employees already in Active Directory, it's great. For extranet sites where I have, uh, you know, trading partners and I have 100 different accounts and I want them to use my SharePoint site, you know, be it just a Windows SharePoint Services site or SPS portal, I had to basically, you know, create an organizational unit in my Active Directory and put the user accounts there. Right. Another suddenly having to create another thousand accounts and manage those. Their users forget their passwords. It costs me money to reset them. Yeah, right. that's a pain. And then the whole point of building this thing was to save you money in the first place. That's right. So companies were like, it kind of works for the extranet, but it's a little painful. And then for the internet-facing site, where the common practice is to have a link saying, sign up for a member account. And so you're a developer going to your administrator and saying, oh, by the way, I, I'm going to need to write some custom code to inject Bob from across the internet into our Active Directory. Yeah, that forget okay? that. <laughs> so, no, you know, not. that just didn't cut it. So SharePoint V2 got this reputation of something that just wasn't usable for, you know, for Internet sites with any type of membership. Yeah, so not a real-world solution. So now, this time, what they decided to do is basically, you know, take out all that authentication plumbing and build everything on top of the ASP2 authentication provider infrastructure. Yeah. So basically now, if it works with ASP2, it works with SharePoint, that's, or Windows SharePoint services, or with Moss. That's the best news I've heard in the whole show. So that's great. I think what we're going to see is uh, a whole new generation of sites that you know are going to be internet-facing. Between the content management server features and the new security model, it's just going to be great. It's all about standards, people using the same frameworks and things like that. That's, that's great. And since I'm piling on, which it feels like I'm piling on here, <laughs> the last but version wait. of SharePoint didn't have anything like master pages. Yeah. And there was no good technique because you couldn't use user controls in pages. Right. So there was no really elegant technique to create any kind of a common look and feel across pages other than copying and pasting HTML. And right. anyone who dealt with SharePoint and really branded a site has been there and they know that. Mm -hmm. And so now... SharePoint gets master pages. Nice. Back in V2, SharePoint has this reputation of you can always tell a SharePoint site. You can't tell it much, but you can always tell a SharePoint site. <laughs> and so now I think what we're going to see is that there's going to be this you know, new set of sites. That's SharePoint. Oh, no, it's not. No way. It doesn't look like SharePoint. Yeah. They're using DHTML. They're using those wacky layer things. Uh, but because you can do everything inside of a master page, it's going to give people so much more freedom to, you know, to get the branding that they want. Do you ever see SharePoint just merging into ASP.NET? I've had, you know, I've seen a couple comments. I I see them as two distinct things. And they should be. Whether WSS and ASP.NET merge in in years, you know, uh, WSS is really just a set of class libraries. They could be part of ASP.NET. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra got together. I never really <laughs> that one. Uh, but I, I guess anything, anything is possible. Catch, catch us off guard. <laughs> so let's talk how-to here, Ted. Let's imagine that you're sitting at Visual Studio and you're a developer. What's the, the, what's the most common thing that you're going to want to do with SharePoint, not knowing anything about SharePoint, and then take us through approximately the steps to do it? If you've never used SharePoint before, you need to experience SharePoint as a user. Okay. So either you're going to install Windows SharePoint services or Microsoft Office SharePoint server on a dev box or on a test server in your environment, and you're going to create a site, and you're going to see how easy it is to create a list in a document library, and add metadata columns, 
and then to you know go to the home page, go into customized mode, and just start dragging and dropping web parts all around. And a, so, a real world scenario might be you're in an office, you're a small business, you've got four or five different departments, and and there's one uh, facility room that is shared among all of these departments. Let's call it a dark room at a photo development place, right? So you need to you need to have a schedule of you know who's using the dark room then. So maybe you've got to you want to write a program that will allow you to interface with that data. Yeah, and if you wanted you know just to do a scheduling mechanism for you know four or five dark rooms. How long would it take you in ASP.NET? I know that I could do that in under an hour with SharePoint, just by click, 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 out of the Yeah, I definitely couldn't do it in an hour in ASP.NET. Um, so I think, you know, just knowing the how far you can take it as an end user um, is important to a developer. And then, you know, you get Hello World going with, uh, you know, a web part. You've got Hello World going with an event handler and a workflow. And those are things that you know, aren't rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, there's different configuration files you have to learn how to touch. Uh, and there's different things about the way that SharePoint takes over an IS website with what is called a web application and mm -hmm. how things are scoped at the web application level versus the site level. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's, you know, there's just some due diligence you have to do as far as just learning the basic architecture uh, about SharePoint. What's, one of the things that's really nice is I see that, you know, because I've been doing a lot of work internally over the last year with Microsoft, and I saw that they acknowledged back in the V2 timeframe, they really dropped the ball getting good documentation, spending money on keeping developers up to speed. And I think they've, you know, gone to the opposite extreme. And I've just, you know, seen teams working hard, you know, as of last September, writing out the documentation for web parts and workflows. So you'll mm -hmm. find some of it in the beta two, and you know, I think by the time RTM gets here, we're going to be so far ahead of, of where we were. When it was kind of shocking for me with SharePoint, especially since there was two products with the same name, that there was just so little information you could get to understand what everything did. So many features went unused even when you did get into SharePoint because you had no idea. So I really think they hurt their product substantially when they did that. When they rely on something like the grand oral tradition of SharePoint. Yes, the grand. <laughs> sit around, sit around the campfire while we talk SharePoint. So I guess I, my question was, you know, give me a little bit of of how to in terms of what are we talking here? Are we talking writing a class? Are we talking dragging and dropping from the toolbar and configuring some properties, handling some events? What uh, what's involved code wise? Well, it's always been kind of confusing in SharePoint ever since I've been in the game as far as defining what is a developer. Because what you'll find is a whole bunch of guys are claiming they're developers, and you'll look at them, and these guys couldn't even open Visual Studio, much less create a project. Okay. <laughs> so if you can put a page into edit mode and drag and drop a web part from zone one to zone two, hey, I'm, I'm a developer. You know, so I would say that you could, there's so many different levels that you could work at. And then there's the, the new version of front page, which is now called the SharePoint Designer, where you can basically open up a site and you can start changing HTML. You can start changing the cascading style sheets. You can do a lot of neat stuff. And whenever you use the SharePoint Designer, everything you're doing is being pushed back into the SQL database that holds all the SharePoint provisioned files and basically in the data. 
So I draw yeah. a distinction between what is customization and what is development. When you're doing development, you're doing something that needs to be laid down on the front end of web server, such as a web part or a workflow built into a DLL or a feature or a site definition. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think of that as development. And you can get a long way in SharePoint without ever doing any of that. Okay. So, you know, SharePoint has this gray area where you're kind of a developer, but you know, I like to call them web designer. Right. Just to give them some something different. So when you're doing customization work with a SharePoint designer, um, you're definitely more than a user. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know how to open up a master page and make a bunch of changes and add cascading style sheets and know how SharePoint does themes, which is very different than ASP.NET does themes, you're not a stupid guy. You've invested in mm-hmm. learning this stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I think we need to dis- distinguish between customization and development. But, you know, there's lots of opportunities there. This strikes me as the same sort of line between the web page designer and the uh, ASP.NET developer. They, they're both important to the equation. A guy who's good at style sheets and good at constructing a, a page is, is a talented guy. He may not ever write a line of code, but he knows some stuff. That's exactly right. Maybe what we're talking about here is that a lot of developers who write code you know, feel that writing code is the ultimate expression of interaction with a computer and therefore everything else is just you know playing around with software for the week the the men's club i write code therefore i'm the toughest so no one else should title themselves with the same label i have exactly there's a lot of that i think there's another problem here also which is that developers tend to want to write code and if you haven't taken the time to really understand what's in sharepoint you're going to end up rewriting stuff that already exists that's exactly and your stuff is lousier and yeah so you wrote it and you think it's great, but it's not as good or it's not as performant or it doesn't spit out data in the standard format that the rest of SharePoint wants to see. And it's not going to be upgraded with the next version. Exactly. You know, right. like, every bit of code you don't have to own is good code. That's exactly right. So I think there's a lot more due diligence in SharePoint than in ASP.NET. Because in ASP.NET, they really don't give you anything. It's a blank slate for you to go and put whatever you want inside there. But with SharePoint, yeah. there's this pretty extensive framework that... Exactly what you're saying, Richard. You need to understand what's there so you don't start spinning your wheels, wasting time, going down the wrong road. Is there much of a a community, a developer community out there for SharePoint uh, developers? Just starting right now. So uh, I've been a SharePoint MVP for about two years now. And so we have a private list with about 40 of us. And about six months ago, it just really started picking up. Uh, a guy named Lawrence Liu is the, you know, basically he's within Microsoft. He's kind of the, the leader of us MVPs. And uh, I've just seen energy picking up and, you know, really marching towards a critical mass uh, for, you know, for the time things are going to shift. He's got some communities uh, that he's building uh, over in MSDN land. You know, whether it's MSDN or Office or the two of them, you know, got together and said, we need to show that Office is as concerned about developers as the platform guys are. So now we have uh, an office you know, place up on MSDN where you can go to, and there's going to be a different one for Windows SharePoint services and another one for SharePoint server. You know, so going up on MSDN, you're going to see a huge office presence that's never been there before. So I think oh, that's you know, good. there's been a lot of energy that way. I mean, even in uh, – you know, I've just moved to Florida. 
So we've always had .NET user groups. There's right. one here in Tampa. There's one uh, up in Jacksonville and some down in Fort Lauderdale. But now, you know, we're basically starting some office user groups. So uh, Andrew Connell just started one up in Jacksonville. I'm working with Joe Healy down here. Cool. Start, you know, to start a office um, uh, interest, special interest group. So I, I think that, you know, the word is out that if you concentrate on office, you can still be a developer. You know, maybe five years ago, you'd say, I'm an office developer, and the C++ guys would snub their nose and say, get out. You know, you at best know Excel macros. You're not a risk. And I think that's kind of a thing of the past because yeah. there's so much to dig into, both on the server side and client side, that you know, we have now a growing office developer community. Well, I think those communities are growing for the same reason that the VB guys who were once snubbed by the C++ guys uh, succeeded because I can out-develop you. I can deliver my app first. Yep. That's right. You have better tools or, or more productive tools, you're going to be more productive. That's all there is to it. So let's talk about, uh, you know, you were in Florida. I think when you first moved to Florida, you were Barracuda.net. What was the Barracuda thing all about? Well, you know, I've, I like training. I like teaching. I like writing. I like making analogies. And for some reason, animals have always been a, uh, a really big thing. So I wrote my comm books. You know, all my code was... A dog, and then I can use inheritance, beagle, boxer, and then you have the method bark. So just animals have always been simple analogies that come across to people. So you mean it wasn't... uh... (laughs) When I was running Barracuda, we did have that for a hold music for for a bit. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, just a little thing, you know, probably just enough not to be sued. Yeah, just Uh, the riff. (laughs) And then also, I love the you know the opportunity for marketing. You know, so take a bite out of the learning curve. Right. <laughs> kind of what I was convinced of. You know, what would take Barracuda.net to the top of the charts? And then you know, I ran uh, Barracuda with a good friend of mine in California, Jason Masterman. But when I moved to Florida, you know, various logistics you know said I had to, to start a new company. And so I've always been into monkeys. You know, ever since Planet of the Apes, which I saw when I was seventeen. You know, and so much of when I teach, I've gone into the, um, you know, Planet of the Apes. I try to make the developer in the classroom feel he's Charlton Heston. But take, <laughs> Mark so Miller that's was the right. developer. Then the chimps are the users, and those darn gorillas, they're the administrators. <laughs> uh, you know, so I've always kind of played up these different roles. And so, you know, with SharePoint, it's such a jungle out there that I just figured there was <laughs> marketing fodder for gorilla training. And, uh, you know, so it's our tagline is extra strength developer education with SharePoint. Awesome. And then, you know, go bananas. Don't learn about SharePoint from a bunch of chimps. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Or uh, the Zen Cohen. Don't think of a monkey. So, to mind. Not that I would try to drive your listeners to my site, www.gorilla, <laughs> as in the jungle age, gorillatraining.com. What was that again, Ted? GorillaTraining.com. Okay, just checking. Uh, but I've, you know, obviously I want to sell courses, uh, but also I've added a wiki up there. So we have the SharePoint Insiders Sneaky Wiki. Sneaky Wiki. We have the Sneaky Wiki so that people can understand, you know, what's the difference between SharePoint services and SharePoint server, what's Excel services, what's Form services. 
what's a shared service provider. You know, so I've just kind of gotten the uh, seed planted there. And now, you know, over the next year, I'd really like to grow out the content with a couple other authors and you know, make it a valuable online resource. So what, the training classes that you do are all SharePoint these days? They're all SharePoint. There's, I, I think that SharePoint is more than I can handle. I don't yeah. see me doing anything other than that anytime in the near future. Maybe some office technologies. Because as I've done a lot with SharePoint, there's a lot of related technologies on, on the desktop. Um, and mm-hmm. in particular, Visual Studio Tools for Office is a pretty neat technology that can run neat stuff on the desktop, but also has a server-side presence. Yeah. So, you know, I would think that SharePoint technologies in the immediate future, and at first I just want to grow out of, you know, hardcore developer training, and the goal is to have the most hardcore in the industry. And then maybe uh, the second wave would be to hit that web designer crowd, you know, to basically right. those who, you know, aren't going to really love Camel and aren't going to be, you know, dreaming of C-sharp but they still can, you know, do some really neat things inside of Windows SharePoint Services and SharePoint Server. And then maybe move to some other Office-related technologies. Well, Ted, we might have an offer for some synergy here. Far be it from me to conduct business on my talk show in front of the listeners, but they might be interested in this too. You know, at Franklin's Net, I started this training company here in 1999, teaching classes myself. And as I get further into, you know, technology content shows and podcasts and videos and things like this, I'm basically that Franklin's Net company is hosting training classes from other training companies here in New London. So, for example, um, Mark Dunn has a a BizTalk class coming up. He's got some guys doing C-sharp and VB.net, and Miguel Castro is doing ASP.net, and uh, Michelle Rubustamante from iDesign is doing her WCF class here this month. So maybe this is something you'd be interested in doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got some great names there. Yeah. So we're just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, taking a backseat in the training myself personally, but, but I always saw myself as a, uh, a person who made introductions to people such as yourself, you know, and pointed people in the right direction of, you know, where to get the best training and content. So, so maybe we could uh, schedule a class up here in New England sometime. Let's do it. Now, we do have classes out of the Boston Technology Center. Okay. Center, but I'm about two hours from there. So you I think get... yours would be more fun. I mean, you've got you've got like a really neat facility, right? Yeah, we have a nice facility. It's and definitely probably unlike the Microsoft Technology Center. You probably got guitars all over the walls. Huh? We have we have upwards of twelve guitars, thirteen guitars, probably <laughs> some drums and keyboards and basses and. All sorts of good stuff. Now, have you told the listeners that you and I have a past lifetime? Of we have. Yeah, we, I've told them. Um, I've, every once in a while, the band on the runtime thing comes up. This, was, uh, this is a band that Don and Ted sort of formed uh, along with um, David Chappell on keyboards, Don Box on bass, you on guitar. And uh, I stepped in on drums, George Bullock on electric guitar. And Francesco Bellena sat in on saxophone when I played with you. And a couple of other people from Microsoft who I barely remember their names because I hadn't met them before. Steve, somebody, and um, somebody else. Yeah. Don Box is here. Yeah, so the, those guys. His brain is Don Box. 
Well, when I stepped in uh, on drums, we played in 2003 at the uh, Standard in Los Angeles at a big influencer party on the roof. That was great. We had a rehearsal in a great studio out there in L.A. And we also played at the RD party, which was just a hoot. Yeah, that was. We played some nice places. We did. Too bad we only play every two or three years. Yeah, if that. We need so, to play more. We do. And and you and I penned a song together. I mean, you are the the lyric master. I will absolutely cede that to you. You 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 did you wrote all the songs for the band. And the whole idea behind these songs is that they're they're parodies. Uh they're sung to the tune of other songs and Ted just rewrites the lyrics. So one at, one that we never turned out we never did. We we were going to do, but uh you and I both worked on was uh, shipping vista turned out to be so hard which is to the tune of me and Julio down by the schoolyard. <laughs> well, that goes, old CBB, tore it down the hall, stormed to the PM's meeting, yeah. left my soul, had to start in a roll, someone here is going to take a big beating. Yeah. I heard it slip the year. I heard it slip the year. With the top brass beard, we really slipped the year. Now you wrote the next verse. Yeah, well, all the smartest dudes were writing SP2, and they had no time for invention. And Balmer said, oh, yeah, Firefox is a toy. Why has it got our undivided attention? Well, there ain't no way. I don't know when we're shipping. There ain't no way. Taking our time, but we don't know when. <laughs> Goodbye, Longhorn. It's been nice to know ya. Why did Chip and Vista turn out to be so hard? Yeah, that's awesome. Why did Chip and Vista turn out to be so hard? Now, um, I don't know if Richard knows this, but you and I actually put together uh, via remote studio technology um, this song, and uh, we'll play it. Shall we play it now? Well, which one should we, should we play the dance mix or should we play the, <laughs> the EP version? I think it would be a tremendous way to end the show today. All right. Well, thanks, Ted, for being on the show and talking about SharePoint. Check out Ted's site at GorillaTraining.com. Check out his upcoming book on SharePoint services and uh, inside Windows SharePoint services 3.0 from Microsoft Press. Ted, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thank you guys for having me. I had an excellent time. I hope to come back someday. All right. And we're looking forward to uh, booking you in, in, uh, in, in the classroom. And here is Shipping Vista, Turn Out to Be So Hard, Ted Patterson and me, yours truly. Old Steve B tore down the hall, stormed into the PM's meeting. Saying, bless my soul, heads are starting to roll, someone here is going to take a big beating. I heard we slipped a year, I heard we slipped a year, what the top brass feared, we heard we slipped a year. Well, the smartest dudes were coding SP2, and we had no time for invention. A farmer said, oh, I Firefox is a toy. Why has it got our undivided attention? Well, there ain't no way. We don't know when we're shipping. There ain't no way. I'm taking my time, but I don't know where. Goodbye, Longhorn. It's been nice to know ya. Why did shipping Vista turn out to be so hard? Why did shipping Vista turn out to be so hard? Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs>
radical post and a series of jokes And we landed on the cover of Newsweek Well, there ain't no way We don't know when we're shipping There ain't no way We're taking our time, but we don't know when Goodbye, Longhorn It's been nice to know ya Why shipping needs to turn out to be so hard Shipping Vista turned out to be so hard Shipping Vista turned out to be so hard Shipping Vista turned out to be so hard .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Toy Boy!